Welcome to Inside the Mortgage Mind, a Zenix podcast where you'll hear stories from professionals throughout the industry, from new LOs to CEOs, about their journey to achieving success. We hope these stories inspire and energize you to take your business to the next level. Peter Boomer, it is a pleasure to get back in touch with you. I think the last time we talked, we were both sitting in a boardroom. So that means two and a half years ago. Yes, it does. And Casey, it's great to see you, even though uh, via Zoom here. So. Right. You know, our backgrounds are in our homes. Are you at home today? Yes, I am. Yes, yeah. yes I am. Same here. Same here. It's a different look than our boardrooms, but at least we can still like face to face. Thank God for technology. And so we can stay connected. All right. So I've got some big questions because um, you are at the top of the game in the industry, right? Uh, running PNC. And when I think about what has happened to our industry, what has happened to companies, culture, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh Where's your culture today? And let you describe that. Let's start there. Can you just sort of describe if I work there, sure. what it would look like? And you, you know, um, I am blessed to be part of, uh, you know, the overarching PNC and being in the mortgage area specifically here. But, you know, we've got a, uh, our, our culture is very different. You know, we are a big bank. We're only one of four big banks that has a branch, you know, distribution network now, coast to coast. Um, but we go to market very differently. We've got to, you know, we talk about this a lot in our company, but it really comes through, you know, in our culture. And we talk about ourselves as a main street bank. You know, Mm -hmm. we're here to help the customers on the street, you know, the small businesses, the people who want to make deposits and the people who come to their banks to get loans. Um, We're not, you know, in some of the fancier, some of the Wall Street activities that you see other big banks are. Mm -hmm. Um, We like to think of ourselves and that's how we, that's really what drives our culture. We're, we've got all the resources, a large institution, but when we, we go to deliver it, we were humble. We're like that. We're the bank down the street. And that's really, that drives our entire culture and how we think of things and how we think of the customers here. So you may be big, but you actually get that small town feel because you're right down the street. Exactly true. So has, has as an executive today, when you think about culture, and this distributed slash remote workforce that we have at the, how's it shifted and, and has it over the last two and a half years? Well, it had to shift, obviously, with the pandemic um, you know, across the entire industry, not just this industry, many. Uh, where we had to be able to put the tools in place and give our um, employees the tools to be able to do their jobs remotely um, and the technology to be able to do that. And then also meet the customer needs. You know, buying a home isn't something you do every day. Right. <laughs> um, I agree. It's something, you know, most Americans do every six, seven years. Um, so it's not something that they're always comfortable with or familiar. So it's very important to us to give the loan officers the right technology tools to make an application easier, the right, uh, you know, infrastructure tools to make communication easier when you're talking internally or externally. And that's really when we started. And the nice thing about it is we were ahead of that before the pandemic. Right. We didn't we were less scrambling. Um, right. But then the, the, the customer demands have changed. You know, the, so many people now use these, these cell phones for everything that we do. And we're, we're tied to, <laughs> we're tethered to them. So making sure that we're able to meet the customer demands as they're shopping, they're looking for a home, they've got the right technology, whether they want to submit you know, uh, documentation or submit an application. That's really where we we pivoted early 
And thank goodness we did. We were able to deliver that to our loan officers that could then deliver it to our customer. So when you think about today and you look at the culture of PNC, is there anything that you're specifically doing to help shape it? Do you have quarterly rallies, uh, weekly meetings? Is there anything that helps to sort of keep uh, your people connected? Yeah, we, we do. Um, you know, quite frankly, even at my level, I have an all hands call, um, which I always sit there and say it's an hour, usually runs over. There'll never be more than 30 minutes of content. So I allow more time for questions and answers sure. than I do to look at a message. Gotcha. Um, and I host those sometimes monthly, yeah, probably about 10 a year. So not every month we give a couple months off to people. And, you know, sure. sometimes I get really good attendance. Sometimes uh, maybe only 50% of the people want to attend. Sure. Uh, but that's just fine. But we do a lot of communication. And that's really where I think, you know, our company looks a little bit different. feels a little bit different. I like to be engaged. You know, it's funny. I get... Uh, Comments, I know being in the business for so long, I get a lot of comments like, Keith, it seems like you're in the field just about every week and visiting different markets and talking to different people. I said, it's important. What we do is important. Getting face-to-face with people is important. So the second we got out of some of the travel restrictions of the pandemic, I got back on planes. I started traveling again to make sure I'm listening and hearing. And I think there's nothing that, there's nothing that really replaces that face-to-face interaction. And our whole management team, is like that. You know, I structured early um, when we built this program is our managers don't produce. And there's a reason for that, because I want our managers available to coach and to help. And that's what their jobs are. And that's what our leaders uh, jobs are, as opposed to just their own production. And that was a conscious decision that we did and how we organized our company. That is a huge decision when you think about our industry at large, right? The non-producing manager, and I don't know if you agree with this, but in the past, people would always ask me, what, what are my thoughts? Do you believe in non-producing or producing managers? And I'm like, well, you want somebody to be exceptional. It's really hard to be exceptional in two things, right? Either manage or produce. And I'm like, but I think the reason most people don't do the non-producing managers, they haven't figured out a way to really leverage the skill set to help others, right? As you just said, coach. So let's pivot to leadership for a moment because that's a, um, it's interesting to me because I love what you're doing. How are you building? Well, let's start with what attributes do you think are the most critical for your leaders, the successful ones? You know, there's a lot of attributes and there's also knowledge. You know, you've got to have knowledge. Our, our business is very complicated. Um, you know, when you've got a couple of different GSEs, Annie and Freddie, you've got FHA and VA, you've got rural development and you've got portfolio. It's, yeah. it's a complicated business just from a product standpoint, but also sure. regulatory. Um, so somebody has got to be able to, you know, when you look at the successful attributes, you know, they've not only got to be a good leader, they've got to be a good manager, but they've got to also inspire. Mm. And that right. inspiration, really, that that's, I think, the secret sauce. And that comes from people that have actually maybe walked the walk of a loan officer or yeah. learned what's important, but then can step back and objectively have conversations with their team and help coach them, help build them. And those are things that, you know, some people like to do and others don't. And then that's fine. But it's finding those qualities that really, you know, the, the wanting to inspire, the, the sharing of knowledge, and quite sure. frankly, the desire to help. Um, I look at every one of our leaders or managers, and I use that word both the same way, a leader is a manager, a manager is a leader, um, sure. interchangeable. You've got to deep down want to help. 
And that's that's the biggest thing. You find that in people's hearts. They want to help people grow in their jobs, help people become experts in what they do. That's really what, what I look for, the biggest quality in a leader. You know, that's a hard thing to train somebody to have the desire to want to help. So if you make that as a key attribute, like we are going to look, find people that love people. They want to help them. That's in their DNA. I could not agree more because I've always said that the number one attribute for me is that you got to have a heart for another human being. You really want to pour into them. So how are you building that next generation of leaders? Because as we we're, we're getting a little older, I'm just saying not everybody, just me and you, me, specifically. we're getting a little older. What are you doing specifically to build the future generation? And, and, and we do a lot of that. We actually look at um, every six months, I step back with my leadership team and we talk about every leader. And quite frankly, we go down into every employee and talk about what we're doing with talent development. And mm. what is that journey? And talent development is a two way street. It's not me just putting you in a bunch of training courses. It's right. just sitting down together face to face and say, Casey, what do you want to do with your job? What do you see in your future? Mm. Whether it be six months, two years, five years, what are your aspirations? And those will change over time. We've got to recognize that just because you say something today doesn't. That's why we do this every six months very formally right. um, to make sure that we then we get the right things for you, that we create help create a journey with you to, you know, so you, you're ready for that next challenge when it presents itself or next opportunity. And, you know, that's really where our talent development comes into place. Mm. And I look at talent development is, is a very two way street. In fact, I sit there and say, the individual owns more of their own talent development than even the company owns. Um, and we've got to take a look at it. And that's in each one of those are personal. You know, you may be looking for something that's very different than the person sitting next to you. And so that plan has to be individualized and tailored for that person and aligned with that person's current and future priorities, which will change over time. You know, we've, we um, actually have in one of our core values, I know you'll appreciate this, and we have five, but one of them is education. And we do exactly what you just said. We believe that the education of, as a core value of our company means every person is doing something to elevate their skill set, their knowledge base, their disciplines, and they must commit to what their own personal education is. Now, we create educational classes as well throughout the year, but they have to have an educational plan. What are you focusing on? Because, the, you know, of course, the better we are, the better we help others. And so we think pouring into ourselves will help pour into our customers. All right. So uh, I, this is a crazy question, but I'm always curious. What is the number one mistake you made as a leader at one time in your life that you, you know, now we, teach others? You know, we all make mistakes. I like to also, I guess, call them learning opportunities. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right, right. And, and I've had plenty. Um, you know, the one thing that I, you know, as I've, I've more experienced in, uh, in my career in Rome um, is not to be so stuck to a bad decision, not to be unwilling to say I'm wrong. I am wrong once in a while. Um, sure. My wife would say I'm wrong more than I'm right. <laughs> I make that argument. I'll interview her and see what we get. <laughs> you know, we're celebrating our 22nd uh, wedding anniversary this year, so I, I have to say, well, I do admit I'm wrong more than I'm right. Okay, admit. But, but that's that said, being willing to sit there and listen to other people's opinion, sometimes as a, as a leader, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a quick decision. But not being so stuck in that decision to sit there and say, I'm not willing to constantly re-explore. Was that the right? 
We're not listening to the team about that decision. And that's something we've built quite a bit within our culture is just that, that mm. you've got two ears in one mouth for a reason. You should be listening twice as much as you're speaking. Right. And, and that's part of our culture. So being able to say we need a decision and sometimes they're wrong. We've got to pivot and go a different direction and that's okay. All right. So legacy. We all sort of want to have leave a legacy in our careers. What do you hope? Um, what kind of legacy do you want to leave as a leader? You know, when I as I look at that, and that's a great question because you know I've been doing this. Uh, I got in this business right out of college and uh, wrote my my first mortgage application in I think 1987. <laughs> so that would tell you how oh, long aging I, I've been in this business. But now our, our business has changed. And the legacy I want to leave, you know, as, as we built a, a mortgage production team here at PNC, is I think we built the right mortgage mm-hmm. production team for this organization, fitting within the corporate culture and that mainstream bank and, uh, framework. But then as I look for the next few years of my career, it's really, you know, making sure that we're putting together, you know, we're a unique industry. This industry is dominated by people that look like me. Mm-hmm. And that's not how our customers look. The fastest growing segment of our customers out there buying homes are single females. One of the uh, uh, greatest ways we know to create wealth in this country is through home ownership. And there's many segments of our society that are underserved in that. And it's a great way for, you know, to achieve that, not just the American dream, but to achieve generational wealth. So, you know, as we look to the future, it's some of our diversity and inclusion efforts that really excite me the most. How do we grow people into this industry? How do we bring new talent into this industry? Quite frankly, how do we bring talent that looks like our customers? Mm-hmm. I agree. Represents our customers in a greater way. And that's so really when I look at the next chapter of our, and it's part of our strategic plan, and we look, it's being more involved in that and creating those avenues and approaching this business a little bit differently than we have in the past. Wow, outstanding. I can feel uh, as, you know, I'm not I'm not in retirement years yet. I don't know if you are yet, but you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> as you age, you start thinking, you know, what's the impression that I want to leave and what do I want people to think about? And I certainly would love to watch uh, as you as you mentioned, PNC bringing in that next era of young, vibrant talent that looks like the consumer today. And uh, that's a that's a by the way, a, an admirable goal and it's something I really of course, you know how I feel about new talent coming into our industry, and we're sort of the barometer. By the way, the last two years, the industry brought in a lot of new talent. Yeah. Uh, now the question is, will they sustain where they came in? You know, and because now the market's shifted. So now that the market has shifted, um, I think the big question I have for executive leaders like yourself is, how are you inspiring action and helping um, everybody actually overcome this, or honestly not overcome, overcome sounds a negative word, but take an, make this opportunistic time because we have a, it's a challenge. The challenge to me is an opportunity. So how are you inspiring action to your salespeople since they've had to shift from almost all refis, not all, but primarily refi centric business? You know, we were, we're, we were very strategic as we looked our last few years in our, our journey. Um, And making sure and helping our loan officers realize that while a refinance boom is a great thing and it allows us to serve that many more customers and help people better their financial positions, um, not to lose focus that 
these refinance booms come and go. As I said, I've been in this business for decades and I've seen multiple of them. Um, every few years we get them and every few years they go away. Uh, you've got to be prepared and you've got to sit there and say, like, our core to our business is serving those customers that are buying homes. And we remain true to that core. If you look at our business, even last year, a little over 50% still being purchased business. We have a big servicing yeah. book, so we had to service our customers that wanted to refinance. So we sure. did as best we could. We never lost focus at our core. And that's when we look at the products and services that we're bringing to market this year. You know, we've invested heavily in technology, so we've made it easier for our customers. And really, you know, a lot of our customers are now the millennials and the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys, what are they, the Gen Xers, they're buying okay. homes now. And there's a lot of them that want to buy homes that are maybe moved out of the urban areas and the suburban communities wanting to start a family. So making sure we have the technology tools because they're demanding a different way than our loan officers traditionally with a pen and paper and a 1003 and taking those down. You know, now they want to use their smartphones. So we started with right. that. We also make sure we've got, you know, rolling out this year, the products and services that our customers are looking at. New construction is booming. Mm. There's a shortage in house. So we're rolling out various renovation, new construction, lot programs. Uh, so mm. make sure that we've got the products and services for our customers. Looking at what's going on in a lot of the communities that we're serving in, in the rebirth and a lot of the bond demand and what sure. the states are doing. So expanding into those programs, making sure that we've got products and services to help those customers in the lower moderate income spectrum as well. So not just focusing on that, you know, that portfolio high-end. Uh, right. That's really what I, I think a loan officer needs to do. What's important is making sure that you've got leaders that are looking at the various environments, how the market's changing, and are you giving them the right products and tools to be successful? And then it gets back to doing the basics. As you and I both know, it's, you know, are you calling on your centers of influence? Are you yeah. showing them how you provide value, how you strengthen that relationship, and how that is a symbiotic mutual relationship you can bring to that customer. That's, you know, that's our mission, and that, that's what we're out there doing. Um, and quite frankly, we didn't have to pivot. We were always doing these things, even during the pandemic. We came up with creative marketing, you know, uh, programs to make sure that we're staying in front of our realtors and our builders and our other center of business influence. We did host calls like this through whether it be Zoom or Teams or any of the other uh, video media type things. How are we leveraging sending this nice little friendly face notes on even as simple as that uh, through a text message to uh, one of your, your centers and saying, hey, we haven't seen each other in a long time. I know we haven't been able to, but just didn't want to forget who you know, who you're, you know, forget my face. And just having a little bit of fun with that. That's how we did it. Um, I and it's absolutely love it. For us. I absolutely, I got to tell you, uh, with my leaders, it's like, okay, love and value people. You want to help them grow. This number one. Number two is give them every tool and make sure you help take any barrier out of their way so that they can be who they need to be. And that's serving the customer at the end. And so I just want to applaud you because I know we've known each other for years and PNC's reputation is outstanding in the market. Uh, and you guys serve our customers, um, serve customers exceptionally well. So uh, I want to leave with one question, if we can end with this. And if anyone's listening in and they're a leader today, what's the best advice you would give them in uh, having success? Maybe it's that one piece of wisdom someone gave you at one point that you think would really resonate. 
one thing that is more of a phrase that sticks with me is all boats rise with the tide. And if you're a leader out there, if your team is more successful, you'll be more successful. So as opposed to look at this through your lens, what, what makes me more successful? Throw that away. Those are leaders in the past. Those are generally leaders in I think. Don't, don't see success for long periods of time. But if you create an environment, create a culture that allows your team to be successful, you will be successful. So as long as you take that, it's about your team. It's about making that work for them. You'll be successful. And that's just kind of how I live, you know, my life and uh, my career. And I, I firmly believe in it. Well, I'm not, I don't know if I remember who said it, but they said, if you help someone else and then you, was it Zig Ziglar? Could have been, yeah. Yeah, the more you help someone else, the more successful you'll be. You just focus on helping others and it'll come to you. And yeah. I'm misquoting him and, and Michael Norton, my president, of the, my new president, you know, I hired the president, previous president of Zig Ziglar who traveled 10 years with him. Uh, what yeah. a privilege. He works with me now. He's going to kill me that I totally butchered that. But Michael, forgive me if you're watching this. Uh, but I can't wait for you to meet him, Peter. But uh, what a privilege it is just to have a few minutes and what sage advice for everybody listening in. Um, but uh, I'm cheering for you. And I'm always your friend out here uh, now out in the market, if you will. So, well, Casey, I appreciate the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed our working relationship uh, over the many years and uh, look forward to continuing. You bring well, a lot of value you. out to this industry. Um, you and your team do. So really blessed we just did our 20 year anniversary peter so that was a really big you know personal moment for me i'm not sure if everybody else cares but 20 years <laughs> trying to serve an industry that's been good to me that i love uh, was a big moment for me personally so thank you for being part of that thank you thanks so much for listening be sure to check back for new episodes of inside the mortgage mind a podcast by Zenix the mortgage academy you can download our episodes wherever you love to listen to podcasts or on our website at zenix.com slash inside the mortgage mind. 